Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Hi everyone, how are we going? Good. Um, yeah, so this is the first of our new series, our new direction that we're going to be heading in uh, Central Church in our line of teaching. And it's, it's really exciting what we're doing. A L- little bit daunting because uh, tonight's not too bad. We're going to be doing a political reading, somewhat familiar with politics. But at one point, if I have to talk about, you know, being a homeless African woman in liberation theology, that, that's going to be really hard for me to relate to. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be pulling from a lot of resources through uh, this teaching. We're going to be, all, everyone is going to be preaching. We're going to be doing a lot of study to make sure we're delivering something good. Um, and so for this reading, um, I went through a lot of resources. This is one that was actually really helpful. This is from uh, Chad Myers. Uh, it's a book called Binding the Strong Man, and it's a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. And so, look, this thing is just really meaty as well. But if you like that kind of thing, talk to Caro. I'm sure she'll let you borrow it. Oh, talk to Chris. Talk to Chris. <laughs> you haven't read it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so if you want a good brain burn, this is a great book to get. <laughs> and we get... <could>, yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, so looking at tonight, uh, Mark's gospel at a, from a political point of view, um, and this was really eye-opening for me in a lot of ways. There's a lot of stuff that was familiar in here for me as well, um, but I did find it quite challenging too, just uh, what this angle pushes me to do, what it pushes me to consider as well. And one of the big things Chad is saying is that Mark's gospel is very political and the words of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, uh, the places he goes, the people he communes with, it's all actually very political. But a lot of it we miss because we're often reading it from our own uh, context. And so tonight as we look at uh, Jesus calming the storm, I want us to be considering what is Jesus challenging us to do here. Um, as we read through the Gospels, any of the Gospels really, we can... We can identify Jesus' politics if we know where to look and what to open our ears and eyes for and listen to. And so even the phrase, kingdom of heaven, is a very political uh, phrase that Jesus uses again and again and again. And in the time, it, it conjured up images of Jesus coming in and throwing over the empire. If Jesus was to come here in our Uh, day and age today and start talking about it. Uh, He might be using words like the parliament of heaven or the government of heaven, something that resonates in our mind thinking what Jesus is ushering in is something that's going to challenge our human constructs that we currently have in place at the moment. And he did this intentionally. If he wanted to avoid all the controversy and not overturn the apple cart, then he could have easily said things like, you know, the family of God, the community of heaven, the people of heaven, things like that. But no, he intentionally used the word kingdom to press those buttons. And then you look at other things that Jesus did, particularly what he did on the Sabbath. He he intentionally uh, did acts of work on the Sabbath to push the boundaries around the Jewish law and Jewish authority. And so we look at when Jesus is walking through the wheat field. And I imagine in my mind it goes something along the lines of they're walking through the wheat field and Jesus leans over to Simon and goes, Hey, Simon, what day is it today? And Simon looks at his sundial and goes, (laughs) It's a Sabbath, Jesus. And Jesus goes, Okay, good. And uh, Simon, are the Pharisees watching? And Simon picks over his shoulder and goes, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see their heads popping up on the other side of the wheat field over there. They're definitely watching. 
And Jesus is like, yeah, great, let's go bake some bread just, <laughs> just to upset them. But everything he was doing was to push back against the laws that have been over-established. And like Jesus says, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what Jesus was doing is deeply, deeply political. And so with that premise understood tonight, let's go through uh, the passage of Jesus calming the storm. And so this is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Verse 35 to 41, and it goes something like this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. His disciples, sorry, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, Reading this passage, and a lot of us read it during our house churches last week, uh, yeah, the big thing is Jesus calming the storm. That's huge. Up to this point in Jesus' ministry, this was the biggest thing he's done. They, the disciples have seen Jesus heal a few people and do a few miracles, turn water into wine, but he's now controlling the weather. This is next level. But the part I want to focus on in this passage isn't so much the big miracle that Jesus has done. It's what he says just before to the disciples. He says, let's cross over or let's go over to the other side, depending what reading you're doing. And that is a significant statement from Jesus. And that's what we're going to be exploring, what that actually means. So to understand this whole concept of crossing over, we just need to firstly understand a bit about the geography around the Sea of Galilee. So if you go to the next slide. So on the left, got a bit more of a zoomed out shot there. We've got Jerusalem down towards the south near the Dead Sea. Up the top, that little body of water is the Sea of Galilee. And if we go to the right-hand side, you can see a zoom-in of the Sea of Galilee. Now, you can see it's surrounded by mountains. And the, the water of the Sea of Galilee, it's actually a lake, but we call it the Sea of Galilee, is about 700 feet below sea level. The highest point of the mountain surrounding it is about 4,000 feet above sea level. So there's a big disparity in height between the two. And cool air would like to settle on the top of the mountains and warm air would settle just above the water of the lake. And as we know, the cool air likes to go down, the warm air likes to rise. And so there is this turbulence that's continually going on. And so storms can really come out of nowhere across the Sea of Galilee and waves as high as 30 feet have been recorded in that lake. Can you imagine 30 foot waves in Lake Illawarra? It'd be insane. And so no wonder the so no wonder the disciples are freaking out when they're on the boat, going up and down over 30-foot waves with the storms that seemingly come out of nowhere. Now, the Sea of Galilee, it's about, from the eastmost point to the westmost point, it's about eight miles across. Where they started, they started up around Capernaum, and they sailed down to where I have that yellow star. And you can see on the left map it says the drowning of the pigs. That's where Jesus cast uh, those demons out. And so it's about nine... 10 miles across that they went. Now, where the Jews started, this is a place where a lot of the, you know, the good Jews would hang out. This is the Jewish side. The opposite side, the region of the Gerasene, this is where the Gentiles were. 
And so for any good Jew, they'll look across the Sea of Galilee and know that on the other side is the unclean place. This is where the Gentiles reside. And not only was it unclean because Gentiles were there, but we also, if we keep reading Mark's Gospel, we find out there are tombs there. There are pig herders there. We can imagine Jews don't like hurting pigs. And there's at least one demon-possessed man over there as well. So this is in a very clean place for them to be. Now, when they go over there, Jesus gets off the boat, and as we know, he casts a legion of demons out of this man. They go into the pigs, and the pigs all, like lemmings, jump off the cliff. Uh, That in itself is actually a political statement, because the swine is a symbol or an icon of the Roman Empire. And I'm not going to go too much into that. In fact, I think Caro went into that, ooh, maybe late 2019 or something, a sermon a while ago. Probably find on the podcast if you want to find out more detail about that. But like I said, everything Jesus is doing is very political. But this is what he wanted to do. This is what he was pushing for. Jesus initiated this crossing over. It wasn't the disciples' decision. It was Jesus. In verse 35, he said, let us go over to the other side. And so this crossing over was significant because the Jews, they saw themselves as the holy people. And we know holy means to be set apart. These are God's chosen people. They are to be apart, or so they thought in their minds, apart from those others, the Gentiles. And as a Jew, who you spoke to and where you went was important because if you meet with someone or go somewhere, it means you're accepting this person or this place. And so for Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher to go over there, he's saying this place is acceptable. Jesus had the disciples take him to the territory of the other. And this is a term that we use in this political language, the other, those who are not me, over the other side. And this is the key political term in Mark's gospel. Um, Jesus had, uh, sorry, Mark's gospel was actually written between 65 and 70 AD. And this is a time during the early church where they're still trying to establish who are we as now the people of Christ, the kingdom of God. And there was a lot of tension between uh, the the new Christians who were Jews and can we now accept Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And so there was a lot of talk about the politics around this and a lot of questions about the law would come up. And so what about food taboos or what about circumcision or purity laws, things like that were coming up again. And so one of the reasons why Mark wrote the gospel was to address these issues and to talk about this whole idea of unity. Because Jesus didn't come just to liberate the Jews. He came to liberate everyone. He came to minister to both sides, not only the Sea of Galilee, but both sides of this social understanding, Jew and Gentile, and bring them together as one. And so what we need to do once we read this and become aware of this political stuff that Jesus is talking about is turn this now back on ourselves. What does this mean for us? Where do we see the other? in our lives? What segregations do we see when we just look around our society today? It could be the segregations between the white and indigenous Australians. It could be the difference between conservative and progressive Christians, or straight and queer communities, or the Liberal and Labour parties, or it could be Christian and non-Christians, or it could be Uh, for probably what's actually relevant to a lot of us here. A lot of us have come from other churches and some of those departures haven't been the most positive. And so we identify one denomination, one group of people, and then we've crossed over now, we see that, that old group now as the other. They are now on the other side and we don't identify them with ourselves anymore. 
It might be uh, just another friend who has a different beliefs or worldviews to you. It could be someone you haven't forgiven. It could be that annoying co-worker that you just hate working with. Uh, it could be someone that you simply don't like. We might find the other in the opposite gender, another sexuality, a different theology, ethnicity, a different culture, different social status. It could be a different age bracket, a different level of ability or disability. Perhaps you've had a hard life yourself. And when you see others who have had it so much easier than you, you see them as the other. And when they complain about how tough things are going in your mind, it's like, well, you have no idea what I've been through. And so you disassociate with people like that. Maybe, and this is probably a hard one to face, maybe it's part of ourselves that we associate as the other. We, there's something in us that we hate, that we despise, a dark part of ourselves. We don't show in public, but behind closed doors, we know that part of us is there. And we push it aside and we disassociate ourselves. and we say that is not us, but behind closed doors, we know it is very much part of us. And then there's other hard questions that we have to ask. Like what distinctions do we make without even realising it? And that's a tough one because we have to then step to a place of self-awareness, step out of ourselves and look at ourselves from a third-party perspective and see where do we stand with a lot of this stuff. You see, for the Jews, social division was so institutionalised and ingrained into their psyche and their culture that even though there was an obvious segregation between Jew and Gentile, this was just part of normal life. There wasn't question about it. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's just what they do. It's just how their life is. And so... What are we used to? So used to in our lives that we just go on with it and don't even give it a second thought. In Western culture, where we all live, it's very consumeristic. So maybe the food we eat or the clothes we wear or the comforts we have without realising it are at the expense of other people, other people groups, and keeps them in a cycle of poverty. And once we become aware of it, we need to actually do something. We're challenged. God challenges us to do something about it. So often it's out of sight, out of mind, and we don't give it a second thought. But once we pull our heads out of the sand and have a look across the other side and realise there is another, there is the other that we are pushing over there and keeping over there, then as Christians, as followers of Christ, what does that mean that we need to do? I think Jesus asks us to often come and look at our outside of our circles. And I think... He challenges us and confronts us in these revelations. And this will happen again and again through our lives if we are open to it. It's very easy and you can get through your whole life with having your eyes closed, having the blinkers on and pretending none of this stuff is there. But if we are honest with ourselves and honest with the world around us, there are a lot of injustices that are happening. And so when we are faced with these injustices, do we dare cross over to the other side? I think that's what this passage is about. Do we dare stand with the marginalised, even if it means our lives won't be so comfortable? So Mark writes his gospel with a lot of imagery. And so in this story, uh, he uses the chaos of the water and the darkness of night to stir up images of fear and uncertainty and risk and challenge in our minds. And crossing over can feel like this. When we cross over, it can feel risky, it can feel dangerous. There's a lot of uncertainty. And we're especially worry about what other people will think. Well, once with this group of people, and now we're starting to cross over, we're breaking away from this group of people, and we're now trying to encompass a larger worldview. 
and, they, and then people will whisper about us behind our backs and they might slander us and they'll say unkind things to us and scoff at us and roll out their eyes at us and all we want to do inside is just run back to our side of the shore and where it's safe and it's familiar and bury our heads in the sand again pretend it's not there but it's one, like one of those things once we see it it's hard to unsee without good conscience and it might feel like when we're crossing over god has left us as well that's something that the disciples experienced they were terrified they were panicking and where they find jesus he was sleeping on a cushion peacefully, calmly in the stern of the boat as it's going up and down the 30-foot waves. And they scream at him, Teacher, aren't you afraid that we're going to die? What do you think the disciples were hoping Jesus was going to do? They're all able-bodied fishermen. They knew their way around the boat. They knew what to do in a crisis. And so I imagine that they all had a bucket in their hand and they're all bailing water out of that boat as fast as humanly possible to stop the boat from going down. And when they came over to Jesus, shook him, woke him up, and saying, teacher, aren't you afraid, aren't you worried that we're going to die? Don't you care? I think basically they were saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher, a rabbi, the Messiah, it doesn't matter, grab a bucket, help us start bailing, or we're all going down, we're all going to have the same fate. But what happened? Jesus came through in a way they never expected. They were absolutely flawed. He stood up, calmed the storm, and you can just imagine that contrast from one moment to the next. You can imagine the storm coming down, rain pelting the sail, the winds howling so hard, they're yelling at each other, but the disciples could barely even hear what they're saying. And then Jesus stands up, be quiet, be still. And there's nothing. And then the wind dies down, and the clouds clear, and the moonlight shines on that mirror-like water of the Sea of Galilee. And all they can now hear is just the gentle lapping of the water against the side of the boat. No wonder they're freaking out. This guy's controlling the weather. Jesus came through in a way they never expected because they had a certain understanding of Jesus. This is what he can do. He can do some amazing stuff, but this is what he can do. They didn't think he could calm the storm. They weren't asking him to calm the storm. And he acted out in a way beyond what they thought. And this is because they took a step of faith. If, they, if Jesus said, let's cross over, and they were like, nah that's a dirty side of the lake, we're not going over there, then they would have never have experienced this magnitude of Jesus' power. And so by stepping out, they saw more of what God can provide. And so for us, there'll be times where God challenges our worldview and calls us to cross over. And when we accept, if we accept, we can expect that that journey will be hard. And it may seem that God has left us because we expect God to work in a certain way and not another. But just as crossing over broadens our view of the world, it also broadens the space God has to work with. And if there is a void, God will rush in and fill that void. And I believe if we give God the opportunity to work in greater ways than we ever thought possible, we too will be amazed, just like the disciples. And it will feel strange. It will feel nerve-wracking. We might feel like we might lose ourselves. But remember, in this story and many other stories in the gospel, Jesus constantly tells us, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I am with you. Know that I'm a Lord, do not be afraid. And it's that still, small, quiet voice that whispers that reassurance towards us. Now, there's a few times in Mark's Gospels that uh, Jesus mentions this whole concept of crossing over. The first time is in this story here. The second time is just a couple of chapters later in chapter 6. And this story, I'm sure you all know it quite well as well, uh, it has a lot of parallels with this first one. So I'm going to read this one out here for you now as well. 
So this is Mark 6, uh, 45 to 52. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. So again, they're crossing back over the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, and so here Jesus is again absent from the disciples before he was sleeping this time, he's actually not there at all. He went up the mountainside to pray. Later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So again, it's night time and it sounds like there's a storm coming. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So again, the disciples are afraid, they're crying out, they're panicked. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat. You imagine them screaming as he's climbing into the boat. <laughs> he had climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. So again, he calms the storm. And they were completely amazed as they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. And so there's a lot of parallels with these stories. But it's that last sentence that gives this story a different spin to the first one. Their hearts were hardened. You see, they'd just seen Jesus feed the 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish. And while they saw this miracle happen before their eyes, they failed to understand the greater meaning behind it. You see, what Jesus was showing them here was the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is one of plenty, of abundance, of overflow. And they saw Jesus feed these 5,000 people and they thought this is just a one-off miracle. He's just feeding them because they had nowhere else to go. But there is so much more. And for us, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is one of abundance. It is one of plenty. And we, are so, often, we are so often make these walls, these social walls between other groups of people because we're afraid these people come over to our side. There's not going to be enough for us to go around and I'm going to suffer. But the kingdom of God is one of plentifulness. And we don't need to worry about God not providing for us. And that's what the disciples missed, and that's why their hearts were hardened. But that whole term, a hardened heart, this is a, that's a pretty heavy slander towards the disciples. This is usually something that's used to describe the enemies of God, the enemies of Christ. And so we hear that in the story of Moses when he goes to talk to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, and it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. We hear this about the Pharisees when they're trying to find reasons to persecute Jesus, and it says their hearts were hardened. But this is the disciples, Jesus' innermost circle, and he's saying this about them. And so when we look at the world around us, God asks us, in fact, he challenges us to see it through his eyes. And like I was talking about before, we need to see it, the kingdom through Jesus' eyes. Do we have kingdom eyes? Are we seeing the world as Jesus sees the world? Because in the kingdom, there is no us and them. It is all us. There is one kingdom that we all belong to. Richard Raw says this. Just go to the next slide. We need to look at Jesus until we can see the world with his eyes. In Jesus Christ, God's own broad, deep, and all-inclusive worldview is made available to us. Christ is the light that allows people to see things in their fullness. The precise and intended effect of such light is to see Christ everywhere else. I think it's beautiful. 
And so Richard is saying when we look at Jesus, we see the kingdom. And when we look at the world through Jesus' eyes, we see the world, the kingdom through Jesus' eyes as well. And the flip side, we can turn this on his head as well, and this is also true. And for me, this actually hits probably a bit harder. And this is when we look at someone and can only see the other, we completely miss the kingdom. Let me say that again because I think that's really important. When we look at someone and can only see the other, we completely miss the kingdom. You see, God is constantly at work throughout all the world. But if we view the world through the lenses of segregation that we most likely have been taught, whether it be intentional or unintentional, then of course we'll get upset when we see God working with the other. We think God should be on our side. We always think we're the good guys. God should be on our side working with us. But when we see him across the lake working with those people, why is he working with those people? They have it wrong. They have their theology backwards or they're not doing the right thing. They're not living a godly way. Why is God over there? We'll question it or maybe we'll just try to explain it away or they, they just got lucky. That's not really a miracle of God. That's not really a blessing. Or they're just making stuff up to make it sound like God's on their side, but it's all just fabrication and lies. Our hearts will become hardened as we become jealous and spiteful. And so think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually witnessed Jesus perform miracles. They saw him spit in the dirt and heal the eyes of the blind man. They saw him take the lame man by the hand, lift him up, and saw that man take his first steps he's ever taken in his life. They saw him heal diseases, even heal people from the dead. But their hearts were hard. They could not see it. As obvious as it was, they could not see it. All they could see was this man who would commune with sinners and this lowly Nazarene who ignored the Sabbath. They couldn't see past it. They couldn't see the kingdom. A few weeks ago, I spoke on doubt. And in that sermon, I was talking about the four levels of Christian maturity. And the lowest level, the basic entry level of Christian maturity, or really any maturity, I suppose, is a simplistic worldview. And this encompasses a lot of dualistic thinking. Everything falls in one or two camps. It's either black or white, right or wrong, good or bad, in or out, saved or unsaved, whatever it might be. But as citizens, really, of the kingdom of God, we have to do better than that. We've got to do better than simplistic thinking. We are called to do more and see the world in a more vast and amazing way than just this dualistic thinking. Because if we follow Christ with honest hearts and open eyes and open minds, then he will be calling us to cross over again and again and again. And it's up to us. Do we accept the call and go over? Do we cross over with him? Or do we stay on our side of the shore where it's familiar, where it's safe, and let our hearts harden? That's the choice we have in our walks with Christ. Now, I acknowledge that's not an easy thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do. If it was easy... Jesus wouldn't have to come into the world and teach us how to do this thing. It would have been simple. We'd all be doing it. But it's not. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing that challenges us because we start thinking about what about those people that are just so far over the other side that, that we can't even begin to accept them? What about like the murderers in our world? What about you know, sexual predators, child traffickers, con artists who have, um, who have ripped people off for millions of dollars, preyed on the most innocent people in our society? Are we called to love these people too? Well, as hard as it is, I think the answer is yes. Jesus calls us to love the unlovable. 
And if we think about Jesus' example, what did he do as the Romans were nailing him to the cross? As the Jewish authorities were throwing accusations at him? As he was being murdered, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Jesus forgives them. They are included in his kingdom view as well. And we need to be looking at the world through kingdom eyes, as hard as that is. Now, does this mean that God condones these heinous acts that some people do? No, absolutely not. And does it mean that we need to, or we should put ourselves in harm's way and allow wicked people to prey on us, to hurt us in whatever way, because we're trying to see the, the, the good in them, the kingdom in them? Then No, we're not putting ourselves in harm's way. That's not what it means. But does it mean that these people are also in the hands of God just as much as we are? Absolutely, yes. They are all part of the kingdom. And when people do horrendous things... God does weep for what they do. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say, I only see the kingdom in you. I can't see the bad stuff. He weeps for what they do. He cries with the victims and their families. And if these people are in our lives and we've had to let go of these people to really protect ourselves, as hard as it is to let go of some people that might have once been very close to us, we can at least rest assured that God has not let them go. They are still within his grasp, even if we've had to let them go ourselves. And just to finish... If the wretched other that you've been imagining as I've been giving you this political reading is yourself, then I want you to know absolutely that you are 100% in God's grasp as much as everyone else is here in this room and everyone else is in the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God, it includes us all. It's big. It's plentiful. There is overflow. There is so much there. And so I'll get the musos to come up and do uh, one last song. I want to finish tonight with just some time to pray with one another if that's what you feel like doing. Here at Central, we don't, we don't do altar calls and get you to come out the front and things like that. But if you want prayer tonight, if you want to let go of this seg- whatever segregations you might acknowledge, if something's on your heart tonight after what we've been talking about here, then I, I encourage you, get some prayer. I'll, I'll, you can come sit next to me and I'll pray with you or Carol or Luke or Matt or, or just the person sitting next to you. We're all in this together. We're all part of the kingdom together. And so, yeah, I encourage you to let go of segregation, take hold of the kingdom and let's support each other in this journey because it's a hard one and crossing over is scary. But it's not so scary if we're doing it together. Is that cool? Thanks, guys. Thank you. I actually think it would be good for us to just um, to pray with one another um, and then we'll sing because I actually think it would be good for each one of us to confess to someone near us who our other is um, so this isn't just like an exercise of I just had a thought tonight like Oren preached and I had a thought but we actually make you know an acknowledgement about, a recognition of someone or a people group or some something that feels so other and alien to us that we might struggle with on any level. It doesn't have to be something that's like horrific, but we can all acknowledge that we live in quite a segregated world 
and there are others to us and that Jesus will call us to cross over. And so maybe just with the person next to you, um, while these, Chris can just play nice music, but I would actually like you to, to tell the person next to you who you think one of your others might be right now whether it's a people group or a person, someone you struggle with, someone you recognise as a gap, there's a, there's a chasm between you and them, there's a lake between you and them, <laughs> that you might have felt a stirring in your heart that Jesus might be inviting you to hop in a boat with him and cross over to the other side. And then I just would like you to pray for that other, in a, you know, just for a couple of minutes. And then I think we'll, you know, Chris, I'll just give you a wink or a nod and then we'll sing together to finish. But I would really, I just think it would be really good for us to pray together for others. Letting our hearts be softened. Um, is that all right? So let's do that. Gather, gather with the people next to you and just be honest and, and pray. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.